you need to keep your body strong. The older we get, the more we realize like strength is actually so needed. I mean, just to pick up a thing of groceries or to move a couch or if you have a dog, to wash your dog. But these simple things that we need strength and we need to maintain strength. And one thing I love about yoga in terms of strength is that you're using your own body. So if you, uh, and you're using your body like a four-limbed animal. So one of the most common poses in yoga is that downward dog shape. We call it downward dog pose, where you're putting so much awareness on the upper body strength and you're using your body to strengthen your body. You're not using weights and you're not using something outside of yourself. Creating strength or maintaining strength is vital, especially as, as we get older. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast. My name is Janet Goron. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last six years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. We created Tribe Sober because we believe it's really, really hard to change your drinking habits alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. Each week, we feature a community voice just to give you a flavor of the awesomeness of our tribe. Here's a lady from one of our Slack groups. Morning all. Um, my Friday win. Today is day 146 for me. Wow, actually, I can't believe I, I did it. I actually did it. I'm in Hermanus at our holiday home, an old battleground for me. Um, coming here for weekends was always filled with an equal amount of excitement and dread. Excitement um, for the little rituals of eating out and drinking, but that was accompanied by dread because I knew it would inevitably be filled with guilt, shame and regret for what would follow those jolly occasions. And now here I am on a Friday and I'm free, I'm completely free. I'm joyful, happy, content, and I still enjoy all those occasions, but I actually can remember them and I leave you feeling proud and content at the end of the weekend. It's so worth it. So thank you, Janet, and this tribe for giving me the support to do this. Onwards. So if you want to join our warm and welcoming community, just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. Here at Tribe Sober, we want to take you on a journey of self-discovery. There's so much more to recovery than not drinking. So we've partnered with various practitioners. Practitioners who can introduce you to their area of expertise and guide you on the healing journey. A healing journey which will result in you not only being alcohol-free, but feeling better than ever. We offer yoga and nutritional advice to our members. So this week I'm interviewing our experts who will tell you more. 
husband and wife team, Tom and Tamsin, are an amazing couple who I first met when I was recovering from cancer 16 years ago, and we've been firm friends ever since. They are both yoga teachers, and Tom is also a health coach specializing in nutritional advice. I'm thrilled that they are now both part of the Tribe Sober experience and began by asking Tom to introduce himself. My name is Thomas. I am primarily, I suppose, a yoga instructor. Also with Tamsin, um, a yoga studio owner. We, we share the Shala, Cape Town Yoga School. And we were recently reflecting that we've actually been based here in gardens in Cape Town for about 15 years now. We've obviously taught and learned an awful lot uh, within the local yoga community during those, those years. Uh, and aside from that, I've also uh, done some additional studies in nutritional therapy and naturopathic medicine. Just quickly on that one, we call that nature cure in the common tongue. And it's, it's sort of a whole systems approach to the human body and to healthcare in particular. And it's largely based on sort of adapting the diet and the lifestyle where possible to support the body's what we might call innate healing capacity. So I know that you went back to study recently. So just talk to us about that, those studies and that qualification. Thanks. I'm still actually uh, busy with that. I'm just finishing um, my dissertation, actually, for a Master of Science degree, which is called Advanced Complementary Medicine. Uh, it's been quite a long process because uh, we're also uh, yeah, running the studio and we have our daughter to take care of so I took a part-time option so it's been quite a few years in the making what I think is interesting about it or what we find interesting about it anyway is that it's called advanced complementary medicine rather than alternative medicine there are movements to drop the word alternative because it would suggest one or the other and with the complementary space, we try and work with an individual and we work with whatever, whatever healthcare team they might have in place. So we, we could work with doctors, we could work with psychotherapy and just add our skill set to the mix. And that would give potentially, hopefully, an individual a, a broader spectrum of healthcare and overall better result. What I think is fantastic about it and, and quite relevant possibly to today's conversation is, is that the biggest thing I've learned over the years of doing this, this science masters is how to research effectively and how to critically appraise any work that you find so we can sort through the disinformation, which of course itself is a bit of a pandemic nowadays. And, and my dissertation specifically, I'm writing on um, eating disorders, but more broadly than that, it's, it's about embodiment, embodiment theory, which is sort of using yoga to help people facilitate a connection with their body, with their mind, uh, and even with their emotional space. Thank you. Yeah, that's so interesting what you're saying about complementary rather than alternative, because I remember when I was going through my um, chemotherapy from cancer, which is when I met Tamsin in the first place, it was so difficult. I wanted something to help, you know, that path uh, to be a little easier. So I just decided that I was going to try everything. You know, I was going to try yoga and nutrition and massage and acupuncture, 
obviously I was still going through the chemotherapy because I was too scared not to do that. So I decided that I was going to try everything. So what I was doing was complementary rather than alternative because I did have a feeling, well, I, I should go one way or the other. Mm. But I decided just to throw the book at it, basically. So I think the complementary uh, approach and name is is much better than alternative because it shouldn't have to be one or the other. Indeed, yeah. And, and it's ultimately about giving an individual some choice. So if we can advance uh, these inverted comma natural therapies, the ones that might be considered alternative, if we, if we can advance their cause and show how how effective they can be, it might get to the stage that somebody like yourself or somebody else in the future could do that with their doctor's knowledge as well so that everybody yes, could yes. put all their cards on the table. And that makes it safer yeah. as well because you wouldn't want anything to negatively interact or counteract any of the other therapies. So when we say in complementary, yeah. it really is a case of full disclosure. This is the aspect of the treatment program we can offer um, and it would actually always answer to to, the, to the, the individual patient first and their primary medical team thereafter. Yeah, yeah, very good point, because I didn't mention any of the stuff that yeah. I was doing to well, my doctor. I just thought, mm. <laughs> in case they said, oh, you don't want to do that, it doesn't work. Okay, so you guys know that I've had my my issues with alcohol, and most of the people that listen to this podcast have, and we all know that it's toxic. And I wondered if you could just summarize for us the, the damage that it does to our, our bodies and our brains. If I can angle my answer from a sort of naturopathic perspective, this whole systems perspective, we often find that there are myriad symbiotic factors that could affect somebody's health. Generally, health is going to be some combination of our genes and our environment and our lifestyle and it's not always a, a linear thing it's not always a case that one plus one equals two and of course there are not always things that people have any control over what, what, what we would try and do in our versions of therapy is, is help people identify the aspects of their, their situation that they do have some control over and, and, and try and empower them and motivate them to take control where they can so Similarly, I don't want to sort of say alcohol is going to cause this negative effect in the body, but of course it can affect the body and the mind in many ways. A couple of specific examples is basically, you might say, systemic inflammation. So inflammation is the body's normal natural response to um, an injury or an infection. Uh, it can be acute, it can come and go and pass quickly, or it can become more chronic long-term. When there is inflammation, as the word sounds, there is heat and there is swelling. It's the immune system responding to something that requires its input. With a, a chronic or, dare I say, an abusive relationship with alcohol, with a sort of overconsumption of alcohol, we can put the body into a sort of unnaturally inflamed state uh, and potentially trip these acute episodes into a more chronic episode where, where Quite literally, the body systems become inflamed and heated and, and initiate immune response where there might not normally be a need for one. So that can have sort of wide-ranging effects on the body, and they, those could indeed be negative. Depending on someone's genetic expression, somebody might show it in one way and someone else might show it in a completely different way, but the underlying cause is going to be a similar 
scenario. And possibly a second one, which I like to mention from my nutritional therapy insights, are just that you know alcohol is largely liquid sugar. It's rapidly absorbed by the body. So you're talking immediately there about high blood pressure, that high blood sugar, sorry, um, which actually wouldn't be too far down the road from high blood pressure. And again, in acute versus chronic, you know, a little bit of sugar here and there isn't necessarily a bad thing for the body. But if it becomes chronic, consistent, long term, you know, one of the biggest effects we're going to see there is something like excessive and chronic high blood sugars. That's the start of diabetes. And diabetes, unfortunately, is a precursor to multiple health issues, many versions of cancer and nerve damage, to name, to name just, just, just two. So it, it's really this, this, this whole systems idea. That again, it's not, it's not the single glass that's the problem. It's, it's the potential that it might become a consistent, repeated, chronic situation. Yeah, yeah. It's like our body's response to the toxin, isn't it, really? Yes, that's precisely what it is, yeah. Yeah, you mentioned genetic expression then. It reminded me of a talk that I came to that you did uh, years ago. It was really good, and I still remember it. And one of the things that you said was, um, because I get a lot of people saying to me, oh, well, you know, I've got alcoholism in my family. You know, my father was an alcoholic and, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I can escape this, this fate. But you said, and I often quote you on this, uh, you said something like, if, if genes are the gun, your lifestyle is the trigger. Do you know that one? <laughs> it was you, wasn't it? <laughs> well, I might have paraphrased it. It was T. Colin Campbell. Um, who, oh, right. who's a nutritional author and he's a big proponent of uh, a whole food plant-based diet. I might have learned and added on to that since then because sometimes, you know, we do get, you know, we, despite our best efforts, we can still get sick. And I think that's probably something I've learned over the years. In my younger days as a student, I probably thought that if I lived my best life, I needn't ever get sick. And if everyone just pulled up their socks and got on with it, they need either. And, and I've definitely come to soften that angle as, as I've aged and as I've studied. I think people are probably right. I'm not well versed in the, the science of alcoholism, but I do believe that there could be a genetic factor there. And it, there could be a, a, a predisposition toward it. And that is going to potentially make it more difficult for one person than another. What I just say to people now is if, 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 is if it's partly your genetics and partly your environment and partly your lifestyle, if it's the milieu, let's just try and identify the aspects that we can work on. Uh, generally, genetics is something we can't unless we have very specialist medical care, and that's still very novel in the whole world. Sometimes we can't affect our environment at all. We live where we live. And we're surrounded by what we're surrounded by. So largely it comes down to lifestyle and somewhere there are choices uh, within that. And so when we go through a process, uh, when I go through a process with, with, with an individual, it, it's largely about identifying aspects and areas of their life that they think they could potentially make a constructive change uh, and trying to coach and facilitate them and support that process. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you're listening to this and you do have alcoholism in your family, please don't give up. You know that you don't have to go down that path. There are many people that that I know personally that have had that issue and they're absolutely fine. But as Tom said, it 
might well take a little bit more work and a little bit more effort. So, uh, so never give up is what I'm trying to say, I guess. Absolutely, and um, and, and surround yourself with with a support structure um, and a yeah. community and people that you can go through this process with, which which I do believe very strongly is, is the work that you're trying to do and and is a very valuable resource for people to have because it can be challenging. You're right, don't give up. Uh, do do your best as it were um, and, and, and have people around you that, that can facilitate that process and support you in it. Exactly, yeah. Uh, talk to us a bit about how our body doesn't absorb the nutrients as well if we're drinking too much alcohol, Tom. I might sound a bit like a broken record here, a bit, of, but I think we're coming back to inflammation again, um, which, which is ultimately heat and swelling. The gut, the gastrointestinal tract, is the interface between the internal and the external worlds. We describe it something like the corridor rather than the rooms. And whatever we consume by mouth, be it a food or a liquid, is, is going to go into this pipe and it's going to get absorbed through the walls of that corridor, as it were, and into the bloodstream. And then it's going to be taken around and taken up by, you know, by the cellular body. A large proportion, a significant amount of our immune system is in the lining of the gastrointestinal tract. Specifically for that reason, there are external objects coming into the body through that organ. So there's an awful lot of immune system there ultimately trying to sort out what's allowed in and what's not allowed in and and various things, sort of like a, a gatekeeper, as it were. If there is a regular and consistent exposure to I'm going to say inverted commas, a negative item, a bad thing, be that alcohol, be that synthetic food products, be that highly refined sugars, etc. consistently over a period of time, that's just going to increase the need for the immune system to get involved. There's going to need to be more filtering. There's going to need to be more gatekeeping occurring. There's going to be more inflammation. There's going to be more swelling of the system and um, it, it, it's the technical term is a no-brainer that it would have a, <laughs> a detrimental effects on the gut uh, which itself is, is, is a system of organs and that it's going to have a detrimental effect on the body's capacity not just to draw in nutrients from food but also to expel metabolic waste products so you could potentially get a double-edged sword there where you're not getting enough fuel out of your petrol as it were and you're also not releasing the toxins and so we become malnourished and systemically toxic at the same time so we're, we're all different obviously and i know that if people come and see you then you'll you'll look at their individual case and do tests and and find a an eating plan that will suit them particularly well. But uh, just as some some general guidelines, what can people do when they stop drinking and, you know, they want to go on a path to healing their bodies, really, from from the harm that it's it's done? I've heard it said that, that there are the four pillars of health, uh, and those are dietary adaptations, modifying the diet where possible. Those are reductions in stress where possible. Those are reductions in chemical toxicity, where possible. That could be alcohol, that could be synthetic foods, etc. And um, regular, moderate physical activity. It doesn't have to be Olympic trials, but a nice brisk walk on the promenade 
would be a good thing. So if somebody were seeing me, we would be looking at those type of four quadrants and saying, where can we look at the diet? Where can we look at stress? Where can we look at um, chemical toxicity? And, and where can we uh, look to encourage regular moderate physical activity? If there were a sort of dietary 101, then it comes down almost to, this, this might sound a bit silly as a yoga instructor, but it's not. We can live for many weeks without food, many days without water, and many minutes without oxygen. So if you reverse that order, then oxygen is the most important nutrient, and um, it really does feed us on a cellular level. So deep rhythmic breathing practice would be a really good place for anybody to start. It's quite achievable for anybody. An entry level is to, is to rest one's hands on their, on their lower belly and try and breathe inverted commas into their hands, try and have the soft belly expand and contract. And that slows the breath rate down and it elongates the breath rate. And that's a really good thing. We can do that at work. We can, I often remark people go for a cigarette break. You might just go to the toilet cubicle door and take a few breath breaks, you know, and, and just <laughs> whenever you can grab a few consciously connected breaths, do. So that's your first dietary one. Then it's water. All sorts of beverages can be healthful. I mean, you know, rooibos tea is great. Green juices are great. But I'm just talking clean water, just drink clean water. I think people get a bit stuck on should it be one litre or two litres or this glass every hour. I don't think it needs to be quantified. I think little and often is just... And then, and then vegetables, any vegetables ultimately. And if we start by increasing oxygen, water and vegetables, I think we're all in a good place. All dietary pro programmes are going to encourage vegetables, even banting, which is that high-fat, low-carb story. Even that is based first in vegetables. And then... As you're increasing those three things, you're going to try and decrease refined sugars, refined salts, and synthetic foods. Now, this isn't to suggest that those things are this, you know, magic bullet that are going to cure, you know, an, an addiction like alcoholism or anything like that. But they are going to help the body to get systemically well, highly functioning on a cellular level, and that itself is quite a positive and inspirational place to be in, especially if you haven't been there. I find that if people have adapted their diet and lifestyle for a few days and felt that first kick of positivity, that very tangible feeling of the body feeling more energized, that can be a really positive a catalyst for, for further effort, endeavor, and positive change. Yeah, I think that that's so true, Tom, because I think naturally if we stop drinking, you know, for a few in a few months time we'll we'll feel so much better anyway just because we've removed that toxin but then if we're introducing the kind of guidelines that you you've just uh, summarized we'll, we'll feel amazing and we see that over and over again people just you know feel feel completely different so thank you tom that was really useful advice we're going to come back to you in a little while, but now I want to bring in your lovely wife, Tamsin, who's going to talk to us more about how yoga can help those of us overcoming alcohol dependence. So over to you, Tamsin. Why don't you start by telling us a bit about yourself and, and how you got into yoga in the first place? I have been on a, a teaching and yoga journey since probably about uh, – 2001 and I think I I kind of started looking after myself at the same time as starting to practice yoga 
So for for me, so we obviously we're based in Cape Town and we have a child and we have a studio here, but my kind of reason for starting the practice um, in terms of a physical practice was looking for something that had a mind-body connection to it. I was living in Edinburgh at the time and working um, in in restaurants and bars and Edinburgh taught me a love of beer <laughs> and beer had kind of then uh, created kind of a sloppiness towards processed food and I think I just got I got myself into a place where I was really young and feeling like I shouldn't be feeling the way I'm feeling at this at my age and I shouldn't be um, having negative thoughts about my body at my age um, and finding a yoga practice was essential for me in terms of the mind-body connection and having more of an internal view of my body as opposed to kind of a regular exercise or going to the gym, which is a little bit more of an external view of the body. So my, yeah, my journey into yoga was one for the very specific reason of finding um, internal health vitality. Um, finding a, a way that I could be, that I could feel good every day and not, and not relying on coffee to pick me up. Awesome. Yeah, well, it's very obvious to, to me who's known you for years that you love your teaching and, and you're a fabulous teacher. I can vouch for that. Talk to us a little bit about the teaching. What, what do you enjoy most about being a yoga teacher? I suppose it's something I just fell into uh, in terms of when I found my own practice and started changing my relationship to food and definitely my relationship to alcohol, because I, I do drink moderately, but I think in the beginning was there was a need to understand my body better. And I think in teaching something to someone, you're integrating it better. So every time you teach that on, you integrate it into your own, uh, into your own body. Um, so kind of when I say I fell into yoga, it was more like I really wanted to keep a sustainable yoga practice. And I could see that by teaching it, it then created a lifestyle that I was very interested in exploring. And so kind of uh, fast forward to 2021, I think I'm, it, it's because I'm inspired by my own lifestyle and and the tools that it gives me internally, I'm constantly inspired to try and teach that forward to to motivate other people to find internal tools and techniques that keep them tethered to a, a more um, grounded structure inside of ourselves. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I so relate to that because I, I suppose I'm teaching sobriety forward with my uh, workshops. Yeah. And I find, you know, every workshop that I do, I think I've done 65 now. <laughs> so obviously you internalize it and it just becomes automatic then. I just so remember the, 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 the nights where you told me you're going to quit drinking, at least for that night and the next day. And that how you created that blog and I think that that is part of it it's like you know first I, I I find a tool that can help me and then I I whittle away at that tools and then it becomes each the teaching and the integration is helping each other forward and it, it creates a nice network for you internally for yourself yeah yeah 
Yeah. yeah, and we've we've been through it all together. I still remember pitching up at your yoga classes with crashing hangovers. <laughs> <laughs> but I came. <laughs> you still arrived. Yes. Yeah, I did. So let's talk about um, yoga and recovery. I just um, Googled those words and there's so many articles. What, um, what's your view on that? How, how can it help people in recovery? I mean, I think, you know, I think one of the biggest things is the coming home into your body, you know, and seeing the, you know, we talk about yoga being a work in and not a work out. So when you work into your body, you, and, and you start to have a really, uh, hopefully, a, a, you, you're cultivating a, a kind and loving relationship with your body, then the more, I suppose it, it can, comes back to what you and Tom were saying, the more you do, the better you feel, the more motivated you are. And so the yoga practice, even if in a physical practice, you including what, yoga, what Tom was talking about, how important the breath is, and you're including the mindful aspects of creating a, 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 a stiller or at least trying to create a still internal environment where you get the opportunity to really feel what is actually going on inside. And so it's almost like a check-in. Every time you get on your mat, whether it's 10 minutes or half an hour, hour it's a check-in. How am I actually feeling? I think that's, that's one aspect I think another aspect of it is that for me, this would appeal to me, was that it was non-competitive. It's not about doing more and faster and increasing your rates and the Fitbits and, and all of that that comes in more with an exercise regime. It's more, it, it's subtler than that. It's, it's, it's a non-competitive environment where you're really just checking in with yourself as opposed to checking in with something that is external. I think also part of recovery is connecting to something greater than yourself and that yoga provides that. So it can, it can kind of mold and morph into your personal philosophies or if you're religious, you, you, can, you can kind of mold the practice into that and create this environment where you are aware of something greater than yourself. There's a consciousness that comes with it. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love what you said about it being non-competitive as well, because for people that don't know about yoga, they might, you know, see it on their Instagram feed or something, and it's all, always full of young and beautiful women doing very extreme poses. You're one of them. <laughs> and they, they might be intimidated. You know, I've got lots of people in, in my tribe in their 50s that have never done yoga, for example. What, what would you say to them to encourage them to give it a go? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's unfortunate that contemporary yoga is marketed that way. And as you say, like we, you know, I, I am part of that uh, because a beautiful uh, yoga pose on a mountain or on a beach does is, is quite aesthetically pleasing. But I think what people need to remember for, for those of us that are not models doing that 
you know, it's taken me 20 years of practice, consistent practice to be able to get my body into that shape. But that's because I'm a yoga teacher. I teach teach training and I teach advanced yoga. So it's, it's a very, very specific route that I've taken uh, for people that have never done yoga. It's really about creating three different emphasis in the body which kind of just makes sense. You need to keep your body strong. The older we get, the more we realize like strength is actually so needed. I mean, just to pick up a thing of groceries or to move a couch or if you have a dog, to wash your dog. But these simple things that we need strength and we need to maintain strength. And one thing I love about yoga in terms of strength is that you're using your own body. So if you, uh, and you're using your body like a four-limbed animal. So one of the most common poses in yoga is that downward dog shape. We call it downward dog pose, where you're putting so much awareness on the upper body strength and you're using your body to strengthen your body. You're not using weights and you're not using something outside of yourself. Creating strength or maintaining strength is vital, especially as, as we get older. The other one is, is uh, keeping flexibility. You know, that I think it's a very common thing. People say, well, I can't touch my toes, I can't do yoga. But you want to be able to maintain the, uh, flexibility in the fascia, which is the connective tissue in your body, flexibility in the muscles, mostly for circulation, so that everything can keep circulating through your body and so that you don't get parts of your body that become numb or frozen or um, there's a lack of circulation. And then the other one is mobility in the joint complexes. And as we know, as we get older, and especially with, with, with people uh, that have had a, a quite a strong relationship with alcohol, there's so much acidity sitting in the body still, sitting around the joint complexes um, that if, if, if left there can stagnate, calcify, you know, lead to all sorts of things, um, arthritis, et cetera, et cetera. So just rolling joint complexes around, um, whether it's knees, ankles, hips, wrists, elbows, shoulders, is so vital to keep the lactic acid moving in the body so it doesn't get trapped and and stuck. So a, a, a very basic yoga practice of maybe it's 20 minutes, maybe an hour, is actually you hardly then see the more, say, fancy or Instagrammable uh, 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 asana or poses, it's actually quite simple. And it's just about getting the body to move through a range of movement, but keeping those three things in mind, strength, flexibility, and mobility. Yeah. And and you're never too old to start doing yoga, are you? No. I mean, I, I, I think, obviously, if you have a... A, a, in a very old body that hasn't done any yoga, your the your needs are going to be very specific. But again, yoga can provide all of those things. But it might be that it needs to be more targeted in a in a one on one situation, or targeted to to chair yoga. Or um, one of my clients that I work with, um, we do bed yoga. You know, the whole yoga class is on her bed um, because she can't get up and down on the floor. So you can adapt the practice to the needs of anybody, really. Yeah, yeah. 
And uh, could you just say a word about trampolines? Okay. <laughs> you got me on my my trampoline, and whenever I'm saying, "Oh, Tumsy, my knees are killing me," you say, "Well, have you been bouncing?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it comes back to the lactic acid, and uh, in the words of the like, kind of the lymphatic world, is is releasing trapped blood protein that is that is stuck in the cells. But very basically, if you um, eating your good food and getting the nutrients in from fresh water and oxygen uh, through the breath, you bring the groceries in, which is great. But when you bring groceries into the body and, and those minerals are absorbed by the bloodstream, as soon as the cell has absorbed that, it can do work. It can work, it can, it can stay alive. But anything that is alive is creating a waste product. And so the waste product is... Uh, flushed by the lymphatic system and so for most of us especially in a sedentary life our lymphatic system is not working at an optimal uh, degree we we too sedentary you might have one little walk a day or uh, you know some people don't even get that don't get that fresh air so bouncing a little trampoline um, is a very easy very effective way basically to give yourselves an internal shower so if, if, if food and breath and water bring the groceries in, then bouncing on a little trampoline does your dishes. And you kind of, you got to do that every day. It's that you can't get the, you can't let the dishes pile up in your kitchen. Otherwise you can't uh, cook in it. You can't, you, you know, it's not a conducive environment for health and wellness. So, you know, the trampoline, as, as you know, um, Janet was introduced also to me by Keith McFarlane from Rebound SA, and it's really changed my life. I've been bouncing on that trampoline now for at least 20 years, almost without a, uh, without a break, uh, every morning, maybe 10 minutes, sometimes 20 minutes. And I think in terms of health and wellness, it is the one thing that I would not give up ever. Yeah, that, that's that's so interesting. That's prompted another question. Talk us through a typical day in Tamsin's life. <laughs> a typical day in my life. I wake up and have a glass of water. I then usually brush my teeth <laughs> and then I go on my trampoline. So that's the first thing I do. Um, so I'll do like a couple of just easy stretches, like a forward fold, but then I'll jump on the trampoline for 10 or 20 minutes and tap my whole body. And just kind of go repetitively, especially in the joint complexes, under arms, behind knees, inner groins, um, with a lot of breath. So just a lot of, a lot of breath. And uh, the way we, where our trampoline is faces the rising sun. So I also kind of uh, greet the morning in that way. Um, and then I, depending on my time, I'll do a, a 10 or 20-minute practice, yoga practice, which for me, uh, it involves inversions, so shoulder stand, headstand, handstand, and that's really the end of my practice there. Um, and then I'll go ahead and, and shower and drink green powder and kind of gear up for my day. And mostly my days are spent teaching either online or in person. I often teach in the evening. We often run teacher training. But basically my whole day is, is teaching yoga from the morning to to the evening time yeah six days a week 
So you mentioned online there. I, I must confess that when the pandemic came and we realized that we'd have to switch our our classes with you to online classes, I had a lot of reservations. I just couldn't really imagine how it would work. I thought I'd be sneaking off for cups of coffee every five minutes. <laughs> but in fact, it's uh, it works brilliantly. And, and now we, we could do face-to-face -face yoga, but we've we've even kept the, the Zoom because it saves us traveling and saves you traveling. And I, I just wondered if that surprised you really, how, how easily we've all evolved into the, the Zoom yoga world. Yeah, very much. I never, I, you know, I suppose online yoga has, has been around and uh, filming videos and putting videos you know, on a website or something like that, it's kind of been around, but I think the more interactive virtual space, I never thought, I never thought about until the pandemic. And I've been incredibly surprised at how well the, it translates, a physical practice translates. I think I've been quite surprised at how easy it is to teach a physical practice via a screen. And not only on a one-to-one -one basis, but, you know, there were times in the pandemic where we were running the whole studio online. So we, we would, I would have up to, you know, 50 or 60 people online with me teaching a physical practice. I mean, I think the one thing is that it does take more skill and that the more a teacher, a yoga teacher, for example, has yoga in their body and has been teaching, those teachers have have been able to transition easier than newer teachers. Been amazing, and I think the biggest thing is that it's opened yoga into someone's own home. You know, we 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 try and create a non-competitive environment in in the yoga practice. But a lot of my uh, students that are now only practicing online, even though they could come back to the studio, have just said, actually, for years I have been uncomfortable practicing with other people, feeling like my practice is not good enough. And now that I'm at home, I feel like way more comfortable just being able to do my own thing, take breaks when I need to. Yeah, yeah. And of course, it means that you're teaching people from all over the world now. Which has been amazing because Cape Town is so transient as well. So many people come here for a sabbatical, they come here for a couple of months, they come to the studio, they love it. And then they leave and often we'll get, we'll get messages pre-pandemic saying, oh, I've moved back to Germany, I've moved back to Berlin. Do you know of a yoga teacher, a, a yoga studio that's like the Shala? Or I've moved back to the America or I've moved back to the UK. And now what we've seen is those, those students that have left the Shala but are now living away from the Shala can kind of plug in virtually. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Tom, you're a yoga teacher too. Any words of wisdom to add to Tamsin's beautiful summary there? Well, I would never be able to add anything to Tamsin's knowledge of yoga, but um, I could share some of my own insights. And um, I, th I think your question earlier was great. You know, what, what does a day of Tamsin look like? And, and, and how she mentioned starting the day in, in a constructive way. Yoga is a very pleasant practice, don't get me wrong, and we can have a nice time but it does involve discipline. 
And that's a positive thing. A little bit of discipline is not a bad thing in one's life. And I can imagine it could it could complement somebody who's uh, reevaluating their relationship with alcohol as well. Mm. Yoga can also be practiced at any time of the day, but the optimal times, perhaps we say, are early in the morning sunrise and later at night sunset. So what you're doing there is you're transitioning from the sleeping state to the waking state and you're transitioning from the waking state back into the sleeping state. It's almost like bookmarking your day. And many times I've heard people who say things like, oh, I, I have to have a coffee as soon as I open my eyes, or I'm one of those people that has to eat as soon as they wake up. And I would just respectfully say I don't think you are. I, I think you can wake up a little slower than that. And I'm, um, I would definitely advocate for anyone who's interested, possibly just start with setting your alarm 15 minutes earlier than normal. You know, then, as Tamison said, drink a glass of water, maybe sit on the toilet and empty the bladder, maybe clean your teeth and just get on your mat. It doesn't have to be advanced. You can do child's pose, you can do cat-cow, you can do some spinal rolls up and down and go through your own private process. Um, you're not hungry. You've still got last night's dinner in your system. You can say your own version of prayers. You can watch the sun rising. You can just put an energetic suit of armor on. Then I like to have a shower and get dressed. And only then do I decide, okay, what am I going to have for breakfast? What's the first active thing I'm going to do today? And then at nighttime, it's a similar thing. You know, we're always going to take in external energy, other people's energy. Um, and it's a nice way to just quickly process the day, quickly check back in with yourself and maybe let go of a few things that you can let go of. There are some factors and stresses that we can't let go of, some things we have to carry on dealing with, but I think we can flick off unnecessary stresses. I'd say it's, it's, it's about a gentle form of discipline and a positive form of discipline. And if we, if, if we start the day, quote unquote, consciously, and if we end the day consciously, those little bookmarks that we set for ourselves act as a really nice reference point. And then in my personal experience, if I am craving something, be it, dare I say, a glass of wine or an extra coffee or something that's sweet that I just don't need. I actually sort of just remind myself of what I'm doing, where I'm at, what I'm trying to achieve, plug back into that sort of early morning intention, maybe drink a glass of water and ask myself again, do I still want the extra coffee? Do I still want the extra item of food or can I not? If the answer is yes, I still do, then maybe I still will. If the answer is no, I don't, I've dodged one. And it, it just, it puts a space in between a sort of yeah. immediate thought and a reflex action. It just puts a little gap in there, not for me to judge you, for you to check in with yourself. Yeah. Is this the action I choose to do? Um, and, and I find there's just a lot of, there's, there's a lot of benefit for my life in that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's a great way for people to handle cravings, you know, because we're, we're so used to us drinkers anyway, just, oh, I need a drink and you drink it. But just putting that space between, do I really need this drink? Do I want it? Having a glass of water, having something to eat, you know, it makes all the difference. Uh, I just add, it was, it was again, I think it was, I'm trying to paraphrase all these people now. Uh, might have been Phyllis Bouch. She's quite a famous nutritional therapist. And she, and, and she said, um, the little bit of effort that's required to, you know, get up a little earlier, etc., uh, more than pays, you know, the benefits that come more than pay back that little bit. Yeah, so it really does give back. It's not discipline in a negative sense or forcing oneself to do anything. It very quickly shows tangible 
benefits and those are attractive feelings that people choose to go back to. Yeah, and we found, I mean, it's my personal experience, but also in our community, once you start getting sober, you you wake up early in the morning and you just want to get on with your day, you know, rather than hiding under the covers. So plenty of people, you know, in our community, they're up at five meditating and it's uh, it's wonderful. If I could add, um, I can't, well, I can probably speak for Tamsin. I've known her long enough, but I won't speak for Tamsin. <laughs> We're not saying here that, you know, life is easy and that I don't get cravings, that I don't get stressed, that I don't get anxious. Of course, we get all of the feelings, all of the sensations in the body. Yoga doesn't cure, but, but it adds a sort of safety net to those things and it becomes something that helps somebody navigate those spaces and deal with yeah. those, those pressures. They don't end the pressures. They, they help you adapt and, 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 and face them in a, in, a, in a more constructive way. Yeah, I think yeah. It, adds, it adds to the toolkit of, yeah. of life. And one thing that I have noticed uh, with people on recovery or dealing with trauma in their lives that, you know, talk therapy is one thing, but this is somatic ther- therapy. This is getting into the body. This is using, uh, um, finding other tools to navigate the internal world, not just talking. Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at janet at tribesober.com. That's Janet, J-A-N-E-T, at tribesober.com and we'll send you an invitation. Yeah, yeah. And it's so needed, I think, if we've been used to chasing our feelings away with drinking because um, drinking is the opposite to mindfulness and doing yoga, isn't it? Because we don't want to be present. We want to to numb ourselves and be somewhere else. Either too painful or it's too messy or... Yeah, and so so the numbing comes from there, and the the yoga is is it, it creates a it, it creates a little opening where you can step inside of yourself and go, okay, well these are the tools that we can use in this space to navigate, allowing feelings to come, you know, allowing the sensations to arise, observing them, reflecting upon that, um, yeah, creating. I suppose, more awareness of what is actually going on. Exactly. Okay, well, the good news for anybody listening is that you guys are going to become involved in our membership and uh, we're we're going to be offering online yoga with Tamsin and uh, consultations on the nutritional side with with Tom. So, Tamsin, just talk to us a little bit about um, the, the, the yoga studio offering um, because presumably it's, it um, will be physical and or online. So you, I think um, we said on the website that you'll be offering monthly passes or single-class passes. People can purchase one or the other of those. Yeah. Just elaborate a little bit. So we, we're running now with the pandemic and, and, and uh, going forward – we have seen, as we spoke about earlier, the, the real success of the virtual studio as well as the in-person studio. So we run two to three classes uh, at the Shala. Um, some of them are in-person only. 
and and most of them are online and in person. And the way the in person works is just like a normal studio setting with obviously social distancing and all the the, the COVID protocols that you would come in and do a class in studio. Um, and that is amazing because it builds community and you are you're physically in the studio and you can't escape <laughs> once once you start the class. So sometimes that helps people with accountability. But a nice way to start is in the virtual space. The way we're running our virtual studio is that you can plug in live. Like if it's a 5.30 beginners class on a Monday, you can plug in live from, from your home and or receive a recording of that class for 48 hours. So basically, you can then start to create your own time frame. So if you had uh, kids and you couldn't do a 5.30 class, but you could actually, it would be really helpful that you could do a class at 8 o'clock at night. Or you want to get up really early, the 5 o'clock in the morning, now that you don't drink anymore and you're waking up early, you want a 5 a.m. class, but our classes at the studio are only 7 a.m., but you could get the class from the day before. So the virtual space is quite nice because you're getting fresh classes every day, each class available for 48 hours, but you get the opportunity to slot that class into a time that really suits you. And so what we're seeing is that people then can carve out their own structure. Just with that, on the, on the schedule is that the beginners classes we are calling foundation. So where okay. the foundation is, these are foundational poses. The class is taught very slowly with a lot of variation in terms of safety for maybe an older body or a stiffer body or a body in the midst of, of, of recovery. Um, so those are foundation classes. And then uh, on a Friday evening, we offer uh, Unwind and Restore, which is really about you know lowering the, the inflammation inside the body getting much more soothing into the nervous system and getting tools in the, in those classes to really self-soothe. And then there's yeah. the more active classes and the morning classes all about waking up the body, lymphatic and digestive systems. Wow. Sounds like there's something for everybody there. <laughs> uh, and Tom, just talk us through uh, what services people can access from your side. I generally work individually one-on-one. -on -one. I must say I'm a little old school. Where possible, I prefer to meet people in person. I think there's a little bit of magic that happens when two people are in the same room. But um, here we are in the 21st century in a pandemic, so it can be adapted to online, especially if it makes people feel more comfortable. And I offer a service of um, two sessions or four. And that's quite specific. I don't offer a single session because the feedback, the second session, is quite important. And in the first session, we're going to do a, a quick Q&A, a check-in. You know, every single human has got their own individual unique needs. Um, and so we, we sort of get to know each other over the first session and we come up with some initial idea of where the key areas of, the, of concern are and what the immediate first steps would be. Then, I, then people go away for a week. We set them some homework. They have a food diary to complete. And on the second session, we check back in. We review the food diary together. And we also review the, the challenges and the successes along the way. 
because it's very easy for me to say to somebody, do eat this, don't eat that. And they go, yeah, 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 got it, got it, got it. As soon as you get home and you realize, oh, I don't know how to do this in the kitchen or my family won't let me eat like that in the kitchen or I don't know which shops to go to in the kitchen. So it's really important that we have the second session and we identify where were the barriers together. And again, it's not that I'm here to judge you on those failures. It's like, okay, now we found a roadblock we didn't foresee. How can we both step around that? What can we do to modify this together? Then hopefully the idea is that people put themselves on the right track and, and don't need me anymore. Some people need a bit more time so we can have a full session where we'll just go progressively deeper each week. We might start with a very entry-level thing, like eat a bit more of this and a bit less of that, and it might go into some yoga therapeutics and, and, and some, some, some drilling down into the key issues. Those are difficult to foresee because they only come up as, as, as they come up for people. But, uh, but that's all, the first step is a, is, is a meet and greet, a Q&A, and a, and a one-week food diary of homework. The second stage is a, is a review. And then again, coaching and guidance along the way. Um, and, then, and then we take it from there and we just see how it feels. Some people see me twice. Some people stay with me for a period of six months. It, it, it's always a case specific. It depends what people need. I, hopefully, ideally, you know, people are empowered and educated enough to not need me anymore. Um, and I think most people surprise themselves, actually, that they have got this. You know, they can do this. It, it, it's not that difficult, you know, um, simple whole foods <laughs> uh, and regular moderate exercise. It, it's theoretically quite plausible. And I think sometimes people are surprised by their own success. Yeah, which is yeah. great because then they can step out and model it to other people as well and, and pass it on, yeah, pay it forward. Oh, that that sounds wonderful. I mean, we we find that when people stop drinking, well, I experienced it myself. You you've got time on your hands, and somewhere along the way, you've lost touch with what you really like doing. You know, apart from drinking, what who you are, and you you just need some time to get back in touch with yourself. And um, we say to people, just try everything and anything and, and you'll find things that you like, things that nourish you, things that you'll enjoy doing and you'll you'll begin to, to come alive again. So uh, I, I'm going to recommend that everyone comes to see both of you because, you know, even if even if they hate it, they've tried it. They've it off. All right, yoga's not for me and I don't know what that Tom bloke's on about, so fine. But, you know, for every one of those, there'll be an awful lot of people that will get a lot out of it. And, and we thank you very much for, for sharing that with everybody. And to say, if anybody wants to contact us, um, hopefully you can share the information. I mean, our website is the contact there. It would just be info at the Charlotte Bar and email. We can answer preliminary questions for people. We can explain the process to people ahead of time. That They, that we, they can be fully informed before they step in. Um, and if they're not quite certain how to press forward with it, we'll help them with the online booking systems and stuff. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of opportunity to, to step into this lightly. Okay, guys, anything else before we say goodbye? Thank you so much for your time. I think that's it. I, I, I think the, 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 the most um, benefit someone's going to get from recovery is the tuning into themselves. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the – a lot of – uh, that is actually just mindfulness. It's really just taking the opportunity to check in 
um, on a daily basis about what's what's really going on. Just going to flatter you for a moment there because I, I, I think what you offer is is remarkable and you are the embodiment of what you offer. And I love that what I understand of it is encouraging people to explore their relationship with alcohol yeah. and allowing people to understand that in their own way, in their own terms, um, and not yeah. wedging people into a framework and, and insisting that there's a way to do something. And I think that's really important that you allow people a safe space to go through their own process and we can just facilitate that with them, um, including, you know, occasionally dropping the ball, I'm sure, and getting back up and get starting again. And I think that's largely what yoga and nutrition incorporates as well. Keep looking at it, keep going, do our best each day. Uh, and, and make make it yeah. No, I see visually. I see sobriety as a, a journey of self discovery. Really, yoga and eating well—that's all part of it. Part of the same, yeah. So there you heard me talking to Tom and Tamsin, owners of the Charla Yoga Studio in Cape Town, who offer their services as part of the Tribe Sober membership program. There was so much great advice in that conversation, but I'm going to pull out a few points that really resonated with me. Tom's studies were in what is now called complementary medicine. We both agreed that's a much better description than alternative medicine. Because if you want to use things like nutrition, yoga, massage and acupuncture, etc. as part of your healing process, then it should be seen as complementary to traditional medicine, not as an alternative. He talked to us about the effect that alcohol has on our bodies, about how regular alcohol use can put the body in a state of chronic inflammation, which is a precursor to many illnesses, including cancer. In fact, a recent study showed evidence that alcohol is linked to seven different types of cancer. I'll put a link to that study in the show notes. From his nutritional viewpoint, Tom also pointed out that alcohol is quite simply liquid sugar, which will affect our blood sugar levels, which can lead to diabetes, which again, of course, leads to multiple health complications. We talked about whether alcoholism is genetic, and Tom agreed that if people have alcoholism in the family, then they may well be more predisposed to developing dependency issues. Having said that, he firmly believes that our health is dependent partly on our genes, partly on the environment, and partly on our lifestyle. And when Tom works with his clients, he tends to coach people mainly on the lifestyle changes, as that is what is usually in our control. If you do have alcoholism in your family and you're interested in this genetic link, I think you may enjoy our episode number 31. That was a conversation with natural health expert Marianne Shearer. Both of Marianne's parents were alcoholics. She grew up in a very hectic environment, yet Marianne is now a leading expert in natural health and plant-based eating. Tom talked about the negative impact of alcohol on the gut, which is twofold. Not only does it prevent us from absorbing some of the nutrients in our food, but it also means we are less efficient at expelling metabolic waste, which of course results in increased toxicity in our bodies. He coaches people around the four pillars of health, which are diet, stress reduction, toxin reduction, and moderate exercise. 
he advises us to increase the three dietary essentials, oxygen, water, and vegetables. And then we should reduce refined sugar, refined salts, and synthetic foods. If you do this and you remove the toxin that is called alcohol, you are going to feel amazing. So then we switched to Tamsin, who explained that she took up yoga because she wanted to access her body's natural vitality. Even though she was only in her early 20s when she took up yoga, she did it because she didn't feel great and she wanted to understand her body better. 20 years into her yoga practice, Tamsin is truly a wonderful role model of health, strength and serenity. Becoming a yoga teacher has made her own practice sustainable as she integrates what she is teaching into her own body. She really does practice what she preaches. She loves her healthy lifestyle and the fact that she now gets an opportunity to teach it forward. We talked about how yoga can help in recovery and Tamsin explained that it's about coming home into your body. With the focus on breathing and mindfulness, we become aware of what's going on in our body, perhaps for the first time in years. Getting on our yoga mat gives us the opportunity to check in with our bodies and discover how we actually feel. And if recovery is about connecting with something greater than ourselves, then there is a consciousness that comes with yoga that can facilitate that. Yoga is not a competitive sport, and Tamsin urged us not to be intimidated, however old or unfit we feel we are, especially now that we can do yoga online and in the privacy of our own home. As we get older, yoga practice becomes more and more important. We need to keep our bodies strong and flexible, and we need to move our joints to prevent arthritis. We're never too old to begin yoga. And Tamsin explained that she has clients that do chair yoga or even bed yoga. She adapts the classes to her clients. I actually discovered Tamsin after reading a feature in a magazine about her and about the practice that she was teaching at the time, which is called lymphocizing. I was recovering from cancer and read that it was an aid to recovery. So that's how I discovered trampolines. You heard her saying that bouncing was essential to health and wellness. Tamsin begins her day with a session on the trampoline and she sees that as a lifetime practice. So if, like me, you spend all day sitting at your computer, then just get a mini trampoline and get up and bounce for five minutes every hour. Just set your phone to ring every hour. There are so many health benefits and we really do need to keep doing the dishes, as Tamsin described it. Don't let the debris build up in our bodies. I see sobriety as a journey of self-discovery. When we give up drinking, we have time on our hands and we recover our energy. We actually want to try out new things and we start to look around at other areas of our life. Do we need to clean up our eating habits? Do we need to do more exercise? Do we need to take up a yoga practice? One of my podcast guests, Will Black, on episode 52, calls this the domino effect. So if you think your diet could do with a bit of a review, and if you're ready to give yoga a try, then please take up this opportunity. 
If you're not yet a member of Tribe Sober, then please sign up today. Just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. Once you're a member, you'll have access to the members-only area of the website. And there you will see our seven-step journey. You'll see icons representing various features on that journey. You'll see an icon for yoga. You'll see an icon for nutrition. Just hit the relevant icon to read more about Tom and more about Tamsin. And you'll see what they are offering to our members and, of course, how to contact them directly. You can do just one online yoga session with Tamsin and a couple of sessions with Tom. So much to gain and absolutely nothing to lose. As usual, I'm just opening my phone and going to read the first member Slack message that inspires me. I picked a comment from brand new member Kay this time. She says, good morning all, I've just joined. Today is my last day one. I'm excited, I'm nervous, but I'm ready to do this with help from the tribe. Thank you, Janet and team. I live in the US. Anyone else? Well, yes, Kay, we've got plenty of US members and I can see that they all piled in to say hi to you. And Kay also got an answer from our membership manager, Sue, who said, Welcome, Kay, and good luck. Don't see it as a punishment that you can't drink. See it as a positive that you are no longer putting poison in your body. Read the quitlet, listen to the podcasts, read the daily mails. An alcohol-free life is so much better than how we feel when we are drinking. So if you'd like to join our community, just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. So that's it from me. Don't forget to follow us and share the podcast. And we would be so grateful if you would take a few moments to leave us a review. I'll be back next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard. It takes courage and grit and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.